So this topic of peace and a peaceful mind, obviously it was so important to Gurudev. I mean, I love hearing him talk about the peace is, is his God, you know? Uh, what's, what's your take on this? We don't want to go to pieces, okay? We want a peaceful mind. And the slogan that I love of his is, do whatever it takes to retain your peace. Mm. Okay. So it's like bottom line, whatever it takes. And usually we won't do whatever it takes. We get attached to things. So how do you help yourself do whatever it takes? Oh, I'm probably the very worst at that. But um, I think the most important thing is regular meditation because the meditation puts us in touch with the part of us that is truly in peace. Mm -hmm. And then we carry a little bit of that into the day. But it's our attachments. Um, it's the attachments I have that keep troubling that peace, disturbing that peace. It's hard to give them up. Mm. Yeah, it, it seems that like may, there's this like foundation of peace that's always existing, right? Like a center they say or a part core. Of the, they say part of the mind is always meditating. Yeah. And then... What can happen? We can get closer to that area and like be with that that part of ourselves, and then we can get further out and attached to these other things. Is it like a coming and going from this peace that's always in us? You don't ask me these sophisticated questions. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I know that the meditation reconnects us, gives us a reference point, mm. and then that... Uh, you know, it gives us like a standard that we can measure our mind against or our actions against. Yeah. I think about priorities and how important well, it is. Well, that's yeah. what. Th that's what I heard Gurudev saying. It's like, this is the number one priority. And to get clear on that, and that was something I realized for, for myself. It's like, for most of my life, I have not been clear on what my priorities are. You just kind of go and it's this thing one day and that thing another day. Right. And so how beneficial it is to get clear, this is the most important thing to me. Yeah, no, of course. He was adamant about it. He said if God himself walked up was and was disturbing your peace, you tell him, go away, God. Go away, God. Yeah. I'm, I'm protecting my peacefulness. Hmm. Yet all the time, we move away from it. Yeah. Right? It's attachments. Yeah. Attachments. How would you describe what what attachments are? Mm. You know, I think it's where our ego, um, our I think our ego gets tethered in attachments. The way we see ourselves in the world, the things that are important to us, the things that. We feel are important to others, so we lift ourselves in their esteem. There's a lot of ways attachment works. I can I can tell you a silly story, but it's helped me a lot. Mm. Do you, Please. Okay. Very silly story. It was about a selfish woman. The most selfish woman. So her whole life went by and she'd only done one good deed. And it was very ordinary. She'd given away a carrot to a beggar who came to the kitchen door. Um... So when the officers of God went through her record, they said, oh my, this is really bad. She was really selfish. 
And they saw that one little thing. And they said, well, we've seen worse, and I think we should reward her for that one moment of generosity. And they said, we'll give her one day in heaven, okay? And to remind her of her good deed, we'll send a vehicle in the shape of a carrot to pick her up. <laughs> so that's what happened. The carrot arrived. She's waiting with a group of people also uh, waiting for their designation. So she climbs on the carrot, holds it tight. But a few other people jump on. And as the carrot takes off, she's shouting at them and saying, Hey, I'm the one who did the good deed. Okay? She said, this is my carrot. Get off, get off. And in her excitement, she falls off. That's the end of the story. And I told that story to Swami Ramananda. And I, and I said to him, Swamiji, I, I uh, folded Hamsananda's laundry today. Do you think that's worth a day or two? <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure, that should be good for a day or two. He said, but they'll send a laundry basket instead of a carrot to pick you up. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, but that, that crazy, silly story has influenced me. And it made me think maybe I don't have to write a book or become powerful or fix everything at the ashram. Maybe it's just as important to fold Hobson on his laundry and bust somebody's dishes mm. and say a nice words. And it, it, the little story helped me to see how much my mind um, is driven by ambition. Mm-hmm. I still, I'm close to 80 years old and I still want to achieve things that are probably appropriate for when I was 30, but somehow my mind has glommed on I should be somebody, do something. Uh, it, it just shows me where attachment has taken root mm. and, and the way it troubles me. It isn't that I'm obsessed with being somebody, but I, I stress myself. I'm always trying a little bit too hard. Mm. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you get the sense that there's like a score being kept for us in terms well, of our well, I know we keep score. That's the thing. Uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm so certain of the graciousness of God mm. that no matter how foolish we are, he, like a baby, how much we love the baby and all their, foolish, all their sillinesses. Yeah. I think God sees us that way. But in our mind and with our peer group, I think we keep score all the time. You know, this idea of like rewards or punishments based on the actions right. that you do and what what is incentivizing maybe my kindness or right. in any direction. Yes, incentivizing your kindness, right. You know, is it just for the sake of, of doing it because there's some impulse that I have and I'm not even going any further than that? Or am I hoping to, you know, rack up a lot of good karma so that I'm rewarded after I think that's the problem. The ego drives us a lot in, in wrong directions. Okay, I'll tell you another story. So it was San Francisco, it was about 1984, and I, I was the director of the center, and it was a massive amount of work. And one day, Gurudev was there. We were standing right outside the office. And I said to him, Swamiji, if I do my Hatha Yoga in the evenings, I don't even go back into the office. I'll get nothing done that evening. I said, so I guess I should give up 
during evening practice. He looked at me. He shook his head. And he said, work done by your intention, having tension, not intention, having tension, mm. is basically useless. Mm. And uh, so, see, that was 40 years ago. It was 40 years ago, he said, that I'm still working on it. Because I, my ambitions, my ego, are always driving me. So the, uh, just about all the time I have tension. So I'm basically a useless swami. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really interesting what drives us, right? Yes. Uh, and what it does to us. Yeah. And, and like with inside of myself, I sense that there's a little bit of doubt as to how much I will actually accomplish if I am... If you let go. If I'm just letting go. Yeah. You know, if, I'm, if, if it's not that ego, that ambition that's driving me, if yeah. it's just purely for the joy of the act of whatever I'm doing, that there's a, like a little competition of voices in my head. One that's saying, just, yeah, have faith in that. You're going to accomplish, accomplish beautiful things and it's going to be natural. And the other one say, no, if you listen to that other voice, you're going to be lazy and you're not going to do anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we have a lot of socially, culturally, and parental voices that are instilled in us, and they drive. Yeah. Yeah, it's like this. They this this pressure vehicle. is necessary in order to do something good. Yep. Yep. Wrong. 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 We have to do a complete reset. <laughs> I feel that way too. I don't know. It's the experience of feeling that pressure for a long time and where it led me. That just doesn't feel like the way anymore. It's still, I'm still attached to it, but that, that's no, not it. we have to figure it out. Yeah. We have to figure it out. I think when we come to understand how precious, if we really come to understand how precious peace is, mm. and then can make that the foundation and the goal of how our life, our daily life plays out, then I think we'll both self-correct. But there's so much ego, ego and ambition right. gets in there. And I wonder if like honesty can be a, an amazing tool to help me stay with my peace, right? Because what's happening, okay, the goal, the intention is to be in a state of peace, you know, all the time or as often as possible. Right, right. And then whatever happens causes me to not be in a state of peace. Now, if my ego is still driving that and not want to see, hey, one second here, you're not doing what you said you wanted to do. Um, then, uh, then there's work to do. Then there's a shift. I have to come back to the piece somehow. You know? Yeah. No, it's really tough, Avi. I don't. Yeah. So it's the the, the honesty. It's like it can, can like the to me the the honesty has the ability to um, meet the ego and perhaps prevent the ego from riding the ship. The honesty is the one that say, hey, where are you really at in this moment? You know, okay, I'm not in a peaceful state. Now I can choose to remain where I am or make a shift. I think honesty is a good foundation. Uh, and then just building up the practice of honoring the peace more than we would honor uh being esteemed by our culture. Mm. 
I think it's probably many layered and pretty complex. Yeah, the esteemed by the culture is. That's so huge. It is. It just steamrollers every other idea. Because it seems to be like uh, to, make, to to have peace be the priority in, in your life or even yoga, right? You have to kind of distance yourself from what's accepted you know, society. I mean, to even be a Swami, right? I mean, you're operating on a much different plane than the average person fitting into society. You would think I'd be free of worldliness. You would think so. I'm not. I carried my ego with me right into Swamihood. <laughs> <laughs> so can you share a little bit about your story? My like, Yeah, like how story? you became like a, a Swami. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was one point when Gurudev said to me, you've been a Swami before. Mm. And I think that's true because I was living in the Berkeley IYI. And that's the IYI where Kurunananda, Parma Barcel, Steve Bacon, uh, Satya Greenstone, some of the seniors in our organization were all collected there. And when the idea of sannyas came, uh, every single night they sat together, together and talked about it. But I went to bed. I said, not for me, I'm getting married. Mm. I never even sat in on their discussions until one day, when I got up in the morning, I said, of course I'll be a Swami. It's a no-brainer. And I stuck with that. <laughs> so who knows? It just came through somehow. What happened there? I, I slept. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you were rested. <laughs> huh. I don't know. That's why I think that it's true I've been a Swami before. Mm. All of a sudden it just felt appropriate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When I was very small, I wanted to be a priest. Both my parents are atheists. So see, there's some samskara that was, mm. um, that was coming through. Who knows? Hmm. What's your take on atheism? Like in terms of it's like... It's a religious yeah. path. <laughs> right. Like a, right. It's a religious path. Because <laughs> my father was as dogmatic as any Catholic about his belief system. How would you describe what his belief system was? You don't want to know. He was a little bit ridiculous. Uh, but he just said he believed in science. Mm. Only science reveals the truth. Interesting. So what does that mean? That essentially anything that can be proved? Yeah. Right? Isn't there so much that we can't prove? What do you do with that? You know, that? His, yeah. his mind is very, very narrow. But uh, he was born in 1904. Yeah. Okay? 120 years ago. And that was not a bit uncommon for that, for that generation. Hmm. Yeah. So this path of sannyas, and you said mm -hmm. that you're, you still have the attachments and, yes, and the ego right, and all of that, right. but do you feel that it has helped you at least move in the direction that you... Oh, incredibly mm. absolutely incredibly I can't tell you I hope this audience out here thinks about would you like to be a Swami it's the greatest help in the world just wearing this cloth means the guys don't flirt with me and that's important just as a starting point and then being in a community of other Swamis they uh, you know we're we're um, 
very interesting group with a lot of different personality types. The monastery has nine swamis in it now, and there's another five who live nearby. But each and every one exemplifies something amazing. And the examples are always there. We're elbow to elbow with amazing examples. Uh, and that, that's, huh, that's a tremendous force. And, and the fact of being a Swami, having these vows we take every single day, just, you know, there's certain uh, mantras and vows that we recite to ourselves daily. And um, I, I believe in the power of that. Some of, some of our mantras are Sanskrit. It's a recitation we make in the shower. There are things like that. And as a, there is no doubt of what an extraordinary tools they are to shape us, constantly shaping us. It's very subtle, but very powerful. What do you think is the key to having a successful relationship? Like whether it's, you know, intimate you or talking, friendship you, you or mean, anything. Any, you, any kind of healthy relationship between, with someone else, yeah. You're asking a very deep question. I well, it seems like this is like the hardest thing to me. That's why I'm kind of like, to have like, you know, a sustained for a long period of time, you know, healthy relationship, dealing with all the ups and downs and twists and turns and all of that. It's challenging, right? I think in a way we kind of underestimate it, how challenging it is. That's right. I'm so glad to be a Swami. I would have failed as a wife. I'm just telling you now. I have the highest respect for everybody on the householder path. Um, yeah, I think humility, honesty, service, um, seeing the other person in their best light. Mm. Yeah, I I can share one trick mm. that I've used when I have a relationship that's gone south. I'll write a list of their best qualities and then recite it to myself daily, mm. and it protects the relationship. It's just a little trick. That is right. It's like again the working with the mind. Yeah. What am I focusing on? Yeah, right. that's what, if you keep focusing on the negative qualities, that relationship is finished. But if you make the choice to spend a few minutes a day focusing on their, their virtues, their positive qualities, it, it, create, it creates like a protective shield. It's a, it's a pretty amazing practice. Mm. Yeah, it seems that there's like the assessment of the individual and themselves and the quality that they mm -hmm. have. And then there's also the circumstances of events that are happening between you, you know, it's right. That's right. And where I have trouble sometimes is in, in regard to being right. Right. Okay. Like, it, yeah. especially in regard to this, like assessing of what, what happened, right. you know, so I'm not like labeling the person, but all right. of a sudden I get righteous about, what happened and how I felt that it wasn't, you know, the right thing. And, mm -hmm. and, and so I see the benefit in letting go of like, you know, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be in a relationship? <laughs> it could be a question, but it's so ingrained this, you know, being right in whatever, whatever viewpoint. Um, I, I just, I wonder about like genuinely letting that go, the need to be right. 
seems to be like one of the deepest practices there is. God bless you, Avi. (laughs) 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 I think think the thing is to know the price you pay. For holding on? Yeah, for holding on. Mm. Or for pushing your points. Um, And I'm sure in every circumstance it's a different price, but that's... You know, having, having harmony, having friendships, that's so precious in this world. And as we give that more importance, I think we'll be better able to let go of being right. Mm. Uh, or taking the humble path. Mm. And I think having conversations, communication, has to be essential too, to be able to work through these things. Right, to find the areas where you see differently. Well, look at your little girl. I think sometimes we all act like four-year-olds. I'm sure you're always compassionate with her and helpful to her. And if the 70-year-old in front of you is acting four years old, (laughs) you have to manifest the relationship you have for your little girl. You could think of it that way. Yeah. Well, the compassion is such a tool. Yeah. Yeah. I think your little girl's probably training you. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> There's no doubt that she is training me. But this it's compassion, too, uh, as a, a powerful tool to use in relationship with right. other people. Is that something that you try to practice tapping into? I do. I I have certain things. If somebody's really irritating me, I just start a mental recitation of I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah. If if they're still irritating me, I imagine that I put a garland around their neck. If um, sometimes I try to attune to that person's mother and... Mm, see that person through the eyes of the mother who understands their inner being. Mm. Sometimes I pray because I, I, I feel certain that the Lord has complete access to my hidden mind and this person's hidden mind. And I pray that the Lord just puts in my mouth the right words so that the hidden part of that person might be addressed or communicated with. Mm. I mean, those are systems I try to use when I'm in a difficult conversation. And it's all, it's true, right? It's like letting go of the need to blame. All right. It's it's part of needing to be right. Yeah. Yep. That's all of it. Instead of like, it's almost in a way the most obvious and simple answer is that there are reasons why this person is behaving the way that they are. Something has happened to them in their life that has, you know, caused this. So It may be completely invisible to us, and yet there's something that's very real for them. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. How about compassion for ourselves? First and foremost. (laughs) Yeah. So why have compassion for myself? Why do that? Well, you won't get anywhere by beating yourself up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we all make so many silly mistakes. If you, 
uh, watched Gurudev in the early years, he would sometimes give us a lot of responsibility for which we had no uh, experience or the right attributes to handle it well. But he would he would accept and support over and over and over and over. You know. Yeah. So we had. I mean, if he could have that compassion, we should also. We're a work in progress. Hmm. Could you share a little bit about, you know, the support in particular that you felt from him? Oh, oh my God. Well, a lot of it, um, yeah, a lot of it is just uh, in his eyes, his smiles, his presence. Hmm. He was... Um, deeply compassionate, understood our our inner being. There were times he addressed me, spoke to me in the very same words my mother would have used, for instance. He always knew what was inside and could talk to that, not just whatever was the outer circumstance. He, um, in L.A., that's the first time I had an administrative position, 73, Los Angeles, our center. So we, um, yeah, he made me director, fired me a year later, reinstated me a year later, fired me a year later, reinstated me a year later, and then I stayed. Okay, so he fired me three times, but he reinstated me again. Hmm. And uh, when I went to him, you know, with situations to solve, he would, uh, he would also listen. He would always listen carefully, and and he would make himself available to guide me. Mm. Pretty incredible. Mm. Right. How has your relationship with him changed since he left the body? If it has. No, it's, it's still very much the same. Uh, I'm, I still miss him really terribly. Um, but I... Uh, you know, I feel like Yogaville is such a miracle. I think he's here. Yeah, everywhere in this property, he's here and he's helping us. Uh, so it isn't... It isn't as though I feel he's gone, but I just wish I could see his Jeep or mm. see his face or have the delight of mm. an interaction with him again. But that's all right. It's okay. Mm. Yeah. He took, Avi, he took years and years and years to wean us from him. I can remember 50 years ago when my friend Jagadishwari had given him a mala to bless. And he blessed the mala, but he said, what are you going to do when I'm not here? Can you imagine that? And then, like, I would say 10 years, 12 years before he passed, he said, I'm staying in my body for the new people. He said, you people, stop bothering me so much. Mm. Okay? You can talk to each other and get the guidance you need. He said, and it's all there in the books. He said, I'm staying in my body just for the new people. And uh, similarly, he stepped back from being director. He, uh, 
And he used to be founder director, but he changed his status. I'm just the founder now. I'm not going to be the director. So you guys administrate the organization. If you need to, you can call me and I'll try to guide you. But basically, you need to take charge. And when the subordinates have problems, they come to you, not to me. But what happened is one of our swamis felt that the administration wasn't solving a problem, so she went to Gurudev. And he scolded her. He said, look, I've laid out the rules. You didn't let the administration handle this. She persisted, persisted, persisted. He finally said, I can't hear you. And then he said, I'm dead and gone. And then he hung up on her. So, uh, and then in his last year of life, he told us, he made sure that every senior member knew he's leaving his body. Okay? He did it with me in a phone call. He said, I won't be there this winter. And like, in my mind, the rest of the sentence come clear, came clearly because I won't be in my body when winter comes. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he passed away that August. Um, so, yeah, he made sure each one of us knew. And that he was compassionate, uh, he was personal. He wasn't just the perfected soul out there. He cared about the person of each of us and related with all our unique qualities and aspects. It's that personal level that seems to be like the most powerful and also obvious when we consider how larger changes has made. Maybe think about these big ideas of impacting large groups of people or, yeah. or whatever, but ultimately it's on the individual yeah, level that individual. change it's happens. Personal. Yeah, It's personal. You shared um, the other day about the teaching of um, putting garlands around the, mm-hmm. the yeah. signpost. Right. Right, which uh, was very powerful to me when I, when I hear him talking about that and then hearing you talk about that because it, it feels so right to me. But curious maybe you can like clarify a, l- a little bit around this because you know the 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 devotional guru path it seems like there's so much of that like w- even w- with yeah. with him like so much focus on him and i wonder is it, is that us doing this you okay. know looking at it him is, more than the teachings itself it's yeah. very a very interesting question Lavi. uh so bhakti yoga is a very honorable path within the integral yoga system. And he did not block those who have had that quality and chose to walk that way. Um, But it's one of six paths. So he, you know, I think in honor of those who, uh, in respect for those, he made himself available. But he was adamant that the body itself was not worthy of worship. And there was one time, he was seated like this, his legs like this, and it was some, it was either Jayanti or Guru Purnima, there were 500 young people there, and each one was coming up to offer flowers. And there's a pile of flowers up, almost up to his knees. 
He was reading a book. Usually, he would be so gracious, he would look to each person, meet their eyes, smile, pat them on the shoulder. No, this day, he was paying no attention to the festivities, the flowers, the devotion. He just sat there and read a book. So, I'm just saying, he could manifest either side of him. Yeah. I just wonder about distraction, you know, and that was what this teaching is really about in some ways. And you, you mentioned our society pressures, norms, and uh, what I get, the, I get the sense that we can get really focused on the, the, indi- the hero, the individual right. hero, yeah. whoever it is, if it's Jesus or George Washington or whoever that, that we love, we maybe have the, the, the tendency to obsess about this particular hero. Um, and I wonder if like the next level is what um, like Thich Nhat Hanh says is uh, the, the, the next Buddha is the Sangha, which these, these people really, what they can be for us is to inspire us to see that within and to keep on doing our own work. You know, instead of, instead of kind of just taking all my time and just saying, oh, like, I love you the most, more than anyone else, you're, you're, you're amazing. All my time doing that is time that I could really spend on, like, nurturing and cultivating that same inner guru within myself. Yeah, I think he was, he is, I think, a very delicate path to serve as a guru, uh, and also to deflect uh, the adoration that we laid on him or the projections we had for him. He had this uh, one statement, which I think summarizes it. He said, this person is a mirror. He said, whatever you see here, if you can see it in me, you have it in you. I'm just here to show you what you have. Um, and he, yeah, he would he, he would often say, "I'm not a scholar. I hardly ever read, okay. uh, but I'm here to serve." He wouldn't. He tried not to let us put him up on a pedestal. He would say, "Show your devotion." Show your love and devotion by being regular in your practice. You bring out the light in you. The most amazing part of living here is seeing the impact and the, that relationship um, that people who have spent time with him, right. uh, how much they value it. And I mean, just this whole place being built, right? It never would have been built if... He didn't kindle that that flame, that spark in each individual person to have that passion to build Yogaville. Oh, it's true. He wasn't, I mean, he had the shape and name of a man, but he was a, somehow a force of nature. Hmm. He was a very extraordinary soul. And he accomplished so much. Yeah, in Thought Song last week, 
I only touched on some of his accomplishments. So there's ecology, there's vegetarianism, he's a patron of the arts. He was a supporter of the youth, even working for the UN. Interfaith harmony. Uh, also the medical fields, the interdisciplinary clinics that he set up, education, his system of education. It just goes on and on. Um, so how could one person be a pioneer in so many areas, seven or eight different areas? I know. How is that possible? So I don't, I don't think we can think of him, though he had a human form. He was an intention of some divine essence, something beyond what we can understand. Hmm. But I guess my question is, is there value in trying to understand? I think only there's value in it if you look for it inside yourself. Yeah. We get glimpses. We get little, just little glimpses of what's there. And, and we've learned how to access it, what it takes to access it. And so just cultivating that, that. He said, when he says, I am a mirror, he said, don't strive for the praises of the mirror. Strive to become that which you see. Yeah. He, he was a great guru. <laughs> and you've met many. Yeah, I've met many. I didn't see, find any to compare. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. He says, I think the way he presented the teachings is very, very pure. Uh, because he, he did deflect so much of the honor and praise that we heaped on him. Mm. He kept sending it back. Find it in yourself. Find it in yourself. I think the, the point that you're making about how many different areas mm -hmm. he impacted on is, is one to, re to really pay attention to. Maybe. Yeah. Like, how is that possible? Yeah. Right? Um, to me, the answer that comes is a being who's able to tap into just universal truth, of, of, probably through his meditation practice, what I would guess, getting right. to the space of, of real oneness where his personality and identity is not there, and then all of a sudden the truth comes in. Yep. And you can trust in it's, that. I think yeah. it's something just like that, hmm. Avi, that he had the capacity to subjugate himself or subordinate himself hmm. to something that was on a divine level. That's it. That's the humility, right? I think it's, uh, yeah. The willingness to, yeah. The willingness to do the work, to free himself of the ego so that he could become a tool of something divine. I think. I think. Right. <laughs> and then there's not even the, the taking of credit. No, this not even the, the taking yeah. credit. No. Yeah. Thanks so much for... Sharing with me today. Oh, this is so much fun, Ovi. Thank wow. you so much. Shall we close yes. with a prayer? You lead the prayer, please. Om Shanti 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 Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu 
the entire universe is filled with peace and joy, love and light. Jai Shri Sakuru Jai. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.